Hey, squaddies. Welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we're airing one of our most popular episodes from the past three years. We have hundreds of episodes now, and lately we've been replaying the most well-received and listened to episodes, and you all have been loving it. We're going to keep giving you what you want and give new squaddies the chance to hear past episodes without having to go digging through the archives. New episodes are still launching every other week, while classics like this are airing in between. Enjoy the show and happy Travel Tuesday. Welcome to the Travel Squad Podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal, Brittany, Kim, and I'm Dana, and And we're we're the Travel Squad Podcast. So grab your ticket, your passport, and don't forget your travel insurance, and prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. What up, what up, what up? Hello. Hey. Welcome to episode 43 of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we are continuing our adventures in Japan, but this time talking about our visits in Kyoto, Osaka, and Hiroshima. Kyoto is famous for being Japan's old capital, and it's a big city that doesn't have any skyscrapers at all. It's known for its classical architecture, so it's Buddhist temples, imperial palaces, Shinto shrines, and traditional wooden houses, and also famous for its geishas. We used Kyoto as a home base for our day trips around Japan, and it was a really great idea. It's perfectly located. It allowed us to explore Kyoto, Nara, and Hiroshima before we stayed in Osaka for our last few days. And I am so, so excited to hear about this trip because I don't think that I've yet to hear about it in depth. And I wasn't on the trip like you heard last time. I know. Well, I'm excited to continue because, you know, we've always talked about Japan and you've said, Kim, like, "Eh, you know, I I don't really regret it. And then you kind of said at the end of our last episode that you did. So it made me feel good. Not that you regret it, but like, yeah, like she knows. Well, to be honest, who would ever go on a trip and say I regret taking that trip? No No one. That's very true. So in our last episode, we went over some vital tips for Tokyo and Japan in general as a whole. So we're just going to touch on them real quick and brush over them, not go into too much detail. But I just want to reiterate again, stay at a place near a metro station for mass transportation. Do buy the Japanese rail pass, which again gives you unlimited use of their bullet trains, regular trains, and have the Hyperdia app which is the app that shows you what train is leaving from what station, what time, where it's going, when the next one comes, and do have that pocket Wi-Fi, vital for all travel throughout Japan and super vital for our locations that we're talking about here in Kyoto, Osaka, and Hiroshima. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about our time in Kyoto? Yeah, so like we had previously said, we took a 14-day trip and the first few days we stayed in Tokyo and we took a bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. How long is that route? I want to say it took us about two hours and 30 minutes where if you were to drive in a car, it listed it as an eight-hour drive. So it got us there very fast. Additionally, like we had previously said in the other episode, you're going to want to buy your JR Rail Pass in advance. And it was when we left Tokyo to go to Kyoto where we activated it at the train station. And that started our seven-day pass to get to Kyoto. Countdown on. Countdown on. We made it work (laughs) really, really good. So we took the bullet train from Tokyo Station to Kyoto Station. And oh my God. So when you get to Kyoto Station, you're thinking it's just a train station, right? wrong. It is a huge mall with tons of shops, restaurants. They even have like a 10th floor level with just ramen shops at the top of it. Wow. It's crazy. There's like 7-Eleven. <laughs> There's like even a hotel there and everything. If you don't take the elevator inside, they do have stairs outside and the stairs light up and do a light show at night. 
my god yeah it's like you would think you're just going to a train station but it's so much more it's like everything you need right in that one stop and, it, and it's really cool because it's an amazing contrast like Brittany said earlier kyoto is famous for its more classical japanese feel there's not really any skyscrapers whatsoever old buildings but here you are at the train station and in this area that's obviously where it's the most modern in terms of buildings not that it's like anywhere left behind in time but in terms of just like building design and everything like that so it's a crazy contrast and even one of our favorite sushi spots and one that's recommended to eat at in kyoto is in the train station and we ate there a couple times and it was dynamite and it has like the conveyor belt sushi going around this is where when zena said jamal do you want to get the sashimi fugu jamal was like no 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 it was at this <laughs> spot at the kyoto train you station you just sushi. pluck it if you want it it keeps coming by mm-hmm Wow, yeah, exactly. Nice. So what I do want to say about Kyoto is Kyoto only has two metro lines and they basically go north to south and east to west. Otherwise, Kyoto has a ton of buses that operate throughout the city and they also have local trains in and out of the city. So the JR Rail Pass is clutch to have in Kyoto, especially if you're going outside of the city of Kyoto. And while you're at the Kyoto train station there is a visitor station there and you can buy an unlimited pass that'll get you unlimited use on the metro and the buses and they have it for a one day or two day unlimited for a set price yeah and we found ourselves using the bus more than the metro because again it's only a north south line and an east west line so it takes you in that general direction but in terms of all around the city not so much so the bus is more useful than the metro but that visitor center that they have in tokyo station really really good because if you have your itinerary and know what you want to do the workers in the visitor center are very proficient in English and they can basically tell you, okay, you want to go here? take this bus line. It's this bus number. This is where this station is. So they can help you map it out if you already know what you want to do. And they give out free courtesy maps of the city itself. So very, very helpful to go in there. Regardless of what you're doing, I recommend that you go there and at least talk to somebody because they give you advice. And if you're having a difficult time with the metros and the trains and the buses and whatnot, if you put in your destinations that you want to get to on Google Maps, as long as you have the pocket Wi-Fi, it will actually tell you which bus to take to get to the next destination you want to get through on Google Maps. So that's really helpful as well. Yeah. And I would also recommend staying at a hotel that's close to Kyoto Station, which we did. Our hotel was easily visible from the station. You were able to just walk with your luggage. And again, since there isn't a vast metro system, you know, you don't really want to carry luggage on a public bus or on the train. I was actually going to ask about that. How is it to bring luggage on this crowded train like you guys are talking about in our last episode. So there's actually space above the seats for your luggage and there wasn't any issues at all putting them up Carry there. on or bigger? We actually had a larger size luggage because it was Japan for two weeks in uh -huh. the middle of January. So the large luggage fit on top as well. They fit on top, okay. and if you've been on any of the trains in Europe, you know that they have some spaces at the entrance where you can kind of just stack the luggages with yeah. the racks over there. They did have that too, but I really like this about the bullet trains is it's like an airplane. You can just put it above, but they had sufficient space to where even large-sized luggages can fit up there, so you can keep your bag close and personal to you also. But going back to what I was saying, I really think it's a good idea to have a hotel close to the train station. That way you can just walk to it and that's your main center of transportation of wherever you're going to go buses regional trains when you want to leave the city take the bullet train it's just right there you know we didn't put this on the tip section but i feel like it should be even though it might be kind of common sense but wearing really comfortable shoes so i missed the mark on this one so you as always giggle <laughs> if you want laugh i always i always do as well you know fashion over function yeah you know so it was cold and under normal circumstances there are specific shoes that i wear but it's winter and so i brought boots and so i thought oh my gosh i haven't worn these boots in forever and so under normal circumstances circumstances in San Diego, these are comfortable boots. But when we were walking everywhere, especially when you're going through the train station, because one of the things we didn't mention, like when we went to the Imperial Palace when we were in Tokyo, I felt like we walked a mile through the train station underground. Like there's so much walking. So just make sure that you have comfortable shoes. That is a good tip. 
One other thing I wanted to say that we didn't mention earlier is when you book the bullet trains, for example, if you don't reserve a seat and you can't with the JR Rail Pass, you have to get on like specific areas or specific carts that are open to the general public. And we never had an issue getting a seat, but you can't board at certain carts because they're designated seats for people that have paid more or reserved a ticket. Yeah, reserved, whatnot. Yeah, that's another good tip. So we arrived in Kyoto. And some of the amazing highlights to do there, we started right away, really. We went to the Arashima Bamboo Grove. Brittany, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So it's a big, large bamboo grove. It's famous in Japan, and you get very beautiful photos. However, when you see it in person, it's not as massive as you would imagine the pictures make it to be. How massive is it? You know, in terms of time to walk through, it doesn't take really more than 20 minutes. But in terms of the bamboo being massive, I mean, they're tall. They're like 50, 60 feet in the air. They're really thick and close together. So if you didn't know otherwise, because it was a clear path, you would feel like you were in the jungle or something. Is but this the bamboo garden? This is the bamboo this forest and garden and that they're famous for in Japan. So Jamal did mention that the Bamboo Grove was the first place we went to. And I would recommend going there first thing in the morning because it's the farthest thing outside of the city center. So it's nice to start there and then work your way back into the city center. And you navigated your way from Bamboo Garden to city center through the buses? Through the buses, through a little bit of walking and really clutch again, going to that visitor center because we knew what we wanted to do. And the lady who helped us with our idea itinerary and said, this is the buses that you do want to take. Yeah. So squad tip while you're at the bamboo grove, I actually have two. One is when you get your first glimpses of the bamboo grove, don't get so excited. Just walk a little bit farther. And if you want pictures of yourself with no one else in them, all you got to do is just walk a few extra hundred feet around the corner. Because right when you get to the first entrance of it, everyone is taking their picture. Everyone's crowding that space. But if you just walk a hundred extra feet down the line, you're going to get great photos. Yeah, they're definitely really cool. I, again, thought it was going to be bigger than it was. And by bigger, I mean in terms of just area space. But in terms of height, I mean, they're just massive. And so once you exit it, you're kind of like in a park and the outskirts of the city itself. But by the bamboo grove. Grove, you were also close to the Arashiyama Monkey Park. That was going to be my second tip. While you're in that area, go to the Monkey Park. Who doesn't want to go visit? Is it called the Monkey Park? It's Wh- called the Arashiyama Monkey Park, also known as the Iwatayama Monkey Park. So it's in the Bamboo Grove area. It's about a half mile walk from the Bamboo Forest. And you actually have to hike up a steep mountain. Easy day. Easy day. Easy day. Yeah, because you walk that mile and a half and it's a really scenic, beautiful walk because as soon as you exit the grove, you are in a natural park area. You can see the mountains and the river in the back. And we're like, all right, let's go to this monkey park. You can feed some Japanese macaque monkeys. They're natural inhabitants to the area and live there. So I didn't know that there was actually going to be a hike because you enter base level by the river. I mean, you see a mountain, but I wasn't expecting to have to hike up it. So you pay about 500 yen, which is a little less than five dollars but that's at the entrance at the bottom then you have to invest a 20 to 30 minute steep hike up the mountain because that's where they actually live so if you aren't physically fit or don't want to hike this activity may not be conducive for you but if you can i would definitely recommend doing it i mean it's awesome you go up there you have a beautiful top level view of the city of kyoto from below and then you just have hundreds of monkeys all around you feeding just living naturally you can pay for 100 yen which is like a dollar you can buy nuts and bananas and feed the monkeys. It's what really size cool. monkeys? I would say they are about the size of a small dog. 10 pounds, 20 pounds. I, I would say anywhere from like eight pounds to 40 pounds, depending on so the age of the monkey. My dog, Emma, could have been a monkey. She yes. Could, yes. And that's why I said small dog. I was trying to correlate it to okay. Emma there. Small okay. to medium dog, depending on how old wow. they were. I mean, they're, they not like, on you? they're not like giant apes or anything like that. <laughs> but, but I mean, they're not like little tiny pygmy monkeys. You know, they're, they're good sized monkeys. So it's an outdoor space. So no one jumps on you. If you want to 
feed the monkeys, you actually have to go into this little hut and buy the food and you have to feed them through like the wire on the hut. Like a chicken wire cage. Because the monkeys can get aggressive during the feeding times and so they don't want them to attack you when you have the food. Oh yeah. And sometimes the monkeys fight with each other about the food. So I think just for monkey safety, your safety, you have to feed them (laughs) from that barrier. Monkey safety first. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You have to wash your hands beforehand and everything before that too. And Jamal tried the monkey food. How was it? I mean, it was just bananas and nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Better or worse than the fugu? Uh, well, because I didn't have a panic attack, I would say better. I don't know. But you see monkeys of all different sizes. I know you asked the size, but when I say that, I mean, you're seeing little babies. You're seeing full-size adults, adolescents, etc. They're just laying, basking in the sun, grooming each other. Like you're up close with what you see on nature documentaries when you see like monkeys trying to pick fleas and bugs off each other. Like here they are doing that. You're feeding them. It's so cool. And they're definitely really cool animals. They did a monkey feeding at one point, too. Tell us about that. Yeah. So for the monkey feeding, the workers that are up at the top of the hill, they just threw out like huge bucket of nuts and fruit and just scattered it all over the place on the open grass and it was really cool because when they did that they played like some background music like you know like (laughs) that chaos music in the back and all the monkeys are just scrambling running all around you collecting nuts they're not even eating any of the fruits or nuts while they're doing it they're like collecting it and when it's all done and everything's gone they go to the corner and like huddle with it and then they start eating it from there but it's just like a mad dash on the grass that they're just running all around trying to collect everything scavenging up it was definitely a sight to see and since you've hiked to the top of the mountain you get this beautiful view of all of kyoto because again you're on the outskirts so it was a really nice hike up and you get beautiful views and you get to feed these monkeys and see the monkey feeding it's definitely worth doing and also props to my mom because she didn't know we were going to do this none of us knew we were going to do this at the time i bet you did hike the hike. The hike. Yeah, we knew we were going to do surprise. it. The hike was a surprise. Brittany, somehow, I think you knew. <laughs> Maybe, but my mom, my mom, she was a trooper and she she did it. Your mom is a trooper. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I, I knew, I've known your mom is a trooper since she took us to Beta Breakers when we were like 12. <laughs> <laughs> What's Beta Breakers? It's like it's a, a marathon. marathon in San Francisco Naked. on the bay and there's tons of people running it nude. What? Naked. You, she took you guys when you were 12? Yeah. She did. She did. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say that baby monkeys on their mommy's back is one of my top 10 favorite things. You would have seen a shit ton of that. <laughs> you should have gone, Kim. You should have gone. So cute. So after we did the monkey park, what goes up must come down. So we had to make the hike down, which obviously isn't as bad as the going up. But after that, we caught the bus again, working our way back to city center of Kyoto. And one of the other main highlights is the Kinkakuji Temple. And it's very famous in Kyoto. It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And it's a beautiful temple. And it literally translates to the Temple of the Gold. Golden Pavilion, and it sits in the middle of a lake surrounded by a Japanese garden, and obviously the roof is a golden temple. It does have a cost associated with it. It's about 400 yen to get inside, but you can't even get into the temple because, again, it is on the lake itself, so truly it's a circular path around the gardens, but it does give you amazing views. Originally, the temple in the gardens was built in 1397, so really, really old. But in the 1950s, a monk actually burnt it down, but it didn't burn down the whole thing. So they rebuilt it with what was left of it. So what you see now, again, unfortunately, isn't the original part of it is. And it's really famous, again, because like the one in Tokyo that we talked about, this one also has some of Buddha's relics or ashes in it as well. It was a really beautiful temple. I really enjoyed the sights. Take your time walking through the garden because it's just a one-way path. So there's really not an opportunity to go back or turn around to get the pictures that you want when you want to do it. But there's plenty of spots along the way to get your picture in front of it. You can get it from the front, from the side, from the back, all around. I like that. (laughs) but um it's one of the temples we did pay to get into a lot of the temples and shrines are free i do think it's worth the 400 yen to get in so just keep that in mind 400 yen equivalent to about four bucks yeah 107 yen is a dollar so just to make it simple like 100 yen is one dollar okay 
Yeah, so it's really cheap. It's not bad at all. And we just took the bus to get there. And so from there, we took the bus back into Kyoto and we hit up Nishiki Market. And the markets in Japan are crazy. They're tiny little shops, but they're so jam-packed with so much merchandise and food and other things. They have vendors, produce, shops selling cutlery and Fresh seafood even. Yeah, everything. I would have to say going to the markets were some of my favorite things that we did while we were in Japan. I enjoyed it a lot because here in the US, like, okay, we have farmer's markets and they're maybe like once a week and, you know, people go to it as an event like once a week, more so sometimes even just to do something than to buy. But over there, they go every day and that's where they get their daily stuff instead of grocery stores it's markets i love it it's really cool really unique and it's amazing i really love the atmosphere and again you know i think it was in the last episode we mentioned that it's kind of disrespectful to walk and eat so there's so many food options at the market and so when you do buy food you just stop and you eat which for me was a little bit different rather than just continuing on and eating and looking and walking yeah but this market's so big too it has like over a hundred shops it spans five city blocks it's known as kyoto's premier market yeah what did you buy oh my god so i was looking at these tiny little octopuses and they were on a little stick so they were like an octopus pop gross yeah that's (laughs) britney for you (laughs) disgusting you know what it was a culinary delicacy and it looked fake it really did look fake we're gonna post a photo of it you forgot the best part what was in the octopus's head so inside the head was a stuffed quail egg which i wasn't expecting boiled quail egg yeah it was so i don't know how i felt about it jam but overall it was pretty good i wasn't expecting the quail egg though if i knew about it i might feel a little bit differently but they had a lot of stuff i mean you can get gyozo which again is going to be japanese pot stickers you could get tempura you can even buy fugu sashimi out there sushi all sorts of stuff but beyond just general street food to eat again it is a normal market i mean they have cookware shops they have fresh fish that you can buy whether it be crab shrimp regular fish that you could just take home produce so it is a full-blown market but i do want to reiterate this again a lot of the places out there and especially in the market no credit cards you definitely do need cash so definitely have cash on you so i didn't get the octopus with the quail egg but what i did get was sujibi so they had these hot tea samples in one store and in the tea they put i don't know even know what it is it's kind of like this sugared honey and it flavors the tea and so i was introduced to that and i totally signed up for their card to get a discount and I got some Sujibi stuff for when I get sick here in the United States, which you guys know happens kind of frequently. And uh, (laughs) I enjoy it with some tea and hot water and it's delicious. We bought that too and have yet to open it. Oh, I opened mine. Well, you may need it sooner or later. But my question for the market is, did you buy anything to bring home? An ornament? Any souvenirs? I got the Sujibi. You know, I can't remember if we bought a specific ornament there. But again, Brittany and I love to collect ornaments to put on our Christmas tree. And those are the souvenirs of the places that we go. I know in another market, it may have been this one, it may have been another one. I mean, in there too, they have little random gift shops. Maybe we found a magnet that we converted. I can't really remember, but yes, they do have little knickknack stuff that you can get as souvenirs too. And at least in one of the other markets that we went to, if not this one that we'll talk about, we did get one that we converted to an ornament. So two things I want to talk about while we were in the market, some shops offer samples. So you can get samples of like the teas Zana was talking about or coated nuts like wasabi coated nuts and things like that but also we haven't mentioned this yet but Japan takes their fruit seriously fruits are really a delicacy and they are really particular about making really prestigious fruits that look baskets beautiful and their fruits cost a lot in comparison to all other foods they had white strawberries and they have like red strawberries and both varieties were super pricey for just a few Yeah, if you wanted to buy a fruit basket, you know, like a small basket with maybe a couple apples, bananas, some berries, and not anything special, again, maybe like strawberries or something, those are some of the most expensive things I saw in Japan, maybe $50 to $100, just for fruit. But you know what was cheap? Octopus pops. (laughs) Those (laughs) octopus pops. Love me some puss pops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I really enjoyed the Nishiki market. It was definitely one of my favorite things that we did in, in Kyoto because beyond something to just sightsee, like one of the temples or shrines or the forest, this is really an everyday living activity that's unique and fun. And I love to immerse myself in another place's culture when I go and no better place to see Japanese culture than the market, I feel. Hey squaddies, we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you. Liquid IV is a category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling. One stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack. We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon lime and tangerine with immune support. It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Travel Squad Podcast at liquidiv.com. Hey, squaddies, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian Island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries, including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you, so all you have to do is download, book, show up, and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. Yeah, so from the Nishiki Market, we went to Xi'an, which is the famous geisha district. I have to say, I was considering going on this trip for a minute there. And the one thing I wanted to do, I said, I'm not going to go to Japan unless I get to dress up like a geisha. And I even found a place that we can do it. And I sent it to Brittany and she said, I don't think we'll have time. And that is exactly why I did not go. That was the whole reason why you didn't go on yep. a 14 day trip to Japan. I yep. will tell you this when we were there, because we walked that district, nobody. There would have been time. There wasn't really anybody dressed up or doing anything like that. I think they have it more as a tourist trap, but truly yeah, not I'm a okay lot of people. Okay, well, not a lot of people do it, though. Well, there were people doing it. We didn't see any real geishas. We saw people dressing up and going to the sites. They had but outfits th- and wigs. But I will say this, though, they were actually Japanese and not tourists that's true that's true so i think they were doing it more as a true cultural thing for themselves than as a touristy thing and let me tell you those shoes looked uncomfortable that they were walking in looks can be deceiving (laughs) (laughs) i know you said it earlier beauty over uh function function. fashion over function yeah there you go i was tongue-tied in my words there but But this area even though we didn't see any geishas they do have restaurants shops tea houses and if you wanted to have a geisha experience there was tea houses that you could book reservations with and have a geisha serve you so that's available as well So that was our first day in Kyoto. What we haven't said yet is we did stay at a hotel in the hotel. I do want to let you guys know which hotel we stayed at. It was called Daiwa Royal Hotel Grande Kyoto. And it was the best hotel we stayed in in all of Japan. Their robes were luxurious. They were beautiful, pinks, orange. They had a Nespresso station in the room. They had the Shishido face wash for you to wash your face. They had slippers for you when you entered the so you room. Would recommend this hotel. I would recommend this hotel. <laughs> it was nice. The one thing I do want to say, buffet? no breakfast buffet, oh. but we were next door to a 7-Eleven and right by Kyoto Station. So anything that you wanted to eat was available and cheap. And one thing that we didn't mention about Kyoto Station, they had a 
bomb bakery down there. And yeah, we would go get melon bread, croissants. Melon bread? Yeah, super good <laughs> stuff. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to describe melon bread. Melon but... flavored bread? Yeah, kind of like a cantaloupe or a honeydew. Honeydew. And then they had just regular stuffed chocolate croissants, other types of savory breads that had like melted cheese and other flavors and hot things on it. Hot dog stuffed in bread. Yeah. To them, it's more a sausage than a hot dog, I guess. Depends on what you want to call Isn't it. Isn't a but... hot dog just like a weird word in general to I, describe it, a food? It is. <laughs> That's why I like to use sausage, huh? Sausage. <laughs> but so the fact that it didn't have a breakfast buffet, well, I know we always talk about it. We love them. You could purchase an addition to it. We did not because we had that bread shop and we had the 7-Eleven right by us and it was substantially less expensive and you could get really good stuff either way. So it didn't really matter for that. My last question about Kyoto, how many nights did you stay there? I believe we stayed three nights and it was the perfect amount. Okay. We did stay three nights, but one day was exclusively like, let's see Kyoto. And then the other two was using Kyoto as a hub to go other places. Yeah. So for the second day, we took a day trip to Nara, as well as the Fushimi Inari Shrine, which is along the way. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But again, we used Kyoto as a hub to get there. And this is where having the JR Rail Pass came in handy because the train that we took was a regional train and it was free for us to use because we had the JR Rail Pass. Now, Nara is a 45 minute train ride from Kyoto. And as a matter of fact, Nara used to be one of the old capitals of Japan. But why don't one of you ladies tell us why we specifically went to Nara? It is filled with deer. It is filled, filled, filled with deer. They're adorable. They're cute. They respect the crosswalks. <laughs> are they the tourist Swear attraction? Swear to God. Yeah. yeah. It, like the tourist attraction are the deer and you get to feed the deer and you get to mingle with the deer and take pictures with the deer. And if you're lucky enough, like Brittany, <laughs> one of them butted Brittany in the butt and threw her in the air. Sure did. <laughs> Her face. I think like Brittany was trying to take a picture of me feeding one of the deers and all of a sudden two deer were fighting and next thing you know one of them goes and this is like Brittany's back is towards it so she doesn't see it and it's kind of like in fast motion because you don't even have an opportunity to warn Brittany but at the same time it's slow motion because you're like oh my god this is about to happen and then boom boom they're fighting boom boom they're fighting and then boom one gets under her butt and lifts her and throws her in the air and her face was just like Yeah, so so let's give this whole thing that Zana just said a little bit of context. So Nara itself is a city, but they have a large park. And in that park, local deer live. And that's the attraction. They stay within the park. There's hundreds, if not thousands of them. And they're so acclimated to humans that they want you to feed them, pet them, take photos with them. And this is the attraction. So as we were getting to the park to go there, vendors are selling what they call deer cookies, which you can buy like little crackers and feed the deer and obviously they want to get fed so they get a little bit aggressive. Brittany, how bad did it hurt? It didn't really hurt. It was more of a shock. I mean, luckily the deer had butted me right in my butt and my butt's pretty cushy. Anyone wants to know. <laughs> so I just went flying in the air. Luckily, I landed on my feet because, God, there's so many deer there. You can just imagine there's probably deer poop all over the grass. Oh. <laughs> but you landed on my feet. Didn't really hurt. I mean, I was fine. It was just more of a shock. Like, oh, my God, this just happened because I wasn't even paying attention. I was focusing on taking a picture of Zena, who was feeding the deer. And all of a sudden that happened. <laughs> I wish there was a picture or video of me. I wish me there was, too. too. I mean, those moments, you just really can't get a picture of it, but you have to live it. So, What other kind of damage did the deer do? Well, it ate Britney's map. That's number one. <laughs> yes. Like we were out there. Damn, they had a target on you. We were just we were just petting it at one point, trying to take like photos and selfies with it. And Brittany had a map and one of the deers just came and started eating the map and we had to try to pull it out of its mouth and everything <laughs> like that. So squad tip, when you get to the park, you're going to see your first glimpses of deer and you're going to be so excited. You're going to want to take all these pictures with you and the deer and you've 
petting the deer and whatnot. Once you go inside the park farther, you're going to get so many opportunities to take pictures with deer and come across those deer crackers and those temples. And when you get closer to the shrines, the deer actually bow at you when they want something because the Japanese people bow to them. Yeah. If you feed them, sometimes they will bow. bow to you. And like Zaina said earlier, there was the crosswalk to cross the street. The deer will wait to cross the crosswalk and they know when to go. Deer. Oh my god! It was really fun. Nothing and like cool those to do. Idaho deer just darting across the freeway. No, <laughs> no, no, these deer have respect. It's a different culture. <laughs> um, Jamal did try the deer food. Yeah, I ate a deer cookie. How was it? Tasted like a fortune cookie. <laughs> Better or worse than the Michelin star ramen? Uh, worse. Because <laughs> the Michelin star ramen was delicious. But yeah, I think Jamal specifically said, I wonder what these deers are getting like a wild for, you know? What does it even taste like? And then that's why he did it. It tasted like a fortune cookie. It wasn't bad. I mean, it truly it's not deer food. And even if it was, what do deers eat? They eat grass and... Other than that, I mean, I wouldn't eat grass. I knew it wasn't grass, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what, you smoke it. What, <laughs> what could they possibly be eating? But like I was saying, Nara used to be one of the capitals of Japan, and they do have lots of temples and UNESCO World Heritage Sites within the park itself. So most people come for the deer, but don't underestimate the beauty that you see of the the temples, the shrines, etc. Really beautiful. And one of the more famous ones that they have in Nara Park is the Kasuga Taisha Shrine. And we came across this at the very end, and this is where we started to see the deers bow at us. And this was amazing when we were there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Brittany? Oh my gosh. So this was my favorite shrine in the park. It was actually established at the same time as the Capitol. And this shrine is famous for its lanterns. There are hundreds of bronze lanterns hanging from the buildings and hundreds of stone lanterns lining the pathway to approach the shrine. So the lanterns are only actually lit two times per year during lantern festivals in early February and mid-August. But walking up and seeing all of this is just amazing. Yeah, even though the lanterns weren't lit and we were there during the day, just seeing them hang is cool. And then the pathway to it, again, just the stone structures that hold the lanterns, all the deers are congregated in there. It's tree line, and that's where they're literally bowing at you. They're just standing right How by the land. How many deers are we talking? Thousands. 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 I've even read Antlers? some. Uh, no. They naturally have them, but they do cut them, I think, to prevent okay. injury. But there's so many deer that I've read articles that the Nara city government has thought and proposed the idea of culling some of the deer. Of what? Culling. You've never heard that term before? No. It means exterminating some of the population. Oh. Oh. Because there's so many of them. Yeah. Luckily, they haven't done that. But to answer your question, that's how many there are. They're talking about population control of the deer. I heard if you find a deer outside of the park, you can actually take it home with you. That's news to me. Wouldn't surprise me, though. But anyways, these specific deer are called Sika deer. And once we were done with the park, the highlights being the shrines, the temples, and the deer, we headed back to Kyoto and we went to the Fushimi Inari Teisha Shrine. Yeah, this shrine was really, really cool. And again, this goes with the method of starting on the outside, which was Nara, and working your way back in. So halfway between Nara and Kyoto is this shrine. And this one is really famous. It sits at the base of a mountain. Although there are many other smaller shrines as you go up the mountain, the main one is at the base. But the true highlight and what makes this area of the Fushimi Inari Shrine unique is all of the Tori gates that line the pathways up to the shrine. And the Tori gates are those famous Japanese archways, if you will, that look like the mathematical pi sign. And so there's literally hundreds of them, bright orange, lining your pathways. It's just so beautiful to hike your way up the path under those. And squad tip, when you go, there's going to be hundreds of people there at the entrance trying to get photos because there's a Tory gate after Tory gate after Tory gate. But again, the farther you walk, the less crowded it will become and you can get a photo without other people in your picture. So I do recommend doing that. And it's one way. There are specific turnaround points. So just be aware of that. You can't walk in 
and walk out of the same entrance. So you have to wait for a designated area to go to the other side and turn around. So although it goes all the way up the mountain, there are several spots you can turn around before you get to that point. Yeah, I really like this one a lot. And what made it unique again is those gates that you have to go under. They make for cool photo spots. It just makes for unique architecture, super bright orange color, and so incredibly unique. This is one of my favorite places that we visited when we were in Japan. So that was the last thing that we did on that day. We went back to Kyoto Station, probably had some ramen for the night. And the next day, we again used Kyoto as our home base. And we took another JR train using the rail pass to Hiroshima. This one was a super emotional day because I feel like most people probably should know what Hiroshima is. We, the United States, dropped an A-bomb on them. And it's just a very emotional experience because they have one building still standing. And they say that, well, why don't Jamal, you tell us what happens when an A-bomb goes off? Yeah. So as Zaina said, Again, the United States has dropped a nuclear weapon on the city of Hiroshima. It was the first nuclear weapon detonated as an act of war. World War II. World War II. And obviously the city has been rebuilt. It's a vibrant metropolis. But there are some places in the city, although we didn't see it, where it created what's called a nuclear shadow, where the blast was so bright that people, when they were standing, their shadow is permanently etched into the stone, like on some of the buildings and the steps. And we didn't see any of those spots, but you can find them in certain locations. But the main thing that we did see and went to was the Hiroshima Peace Park. And the Peace Park has a cenotaph. And a cenotaph is like a grave or a monument for unconfirmed like bodies as a memorial. And it's shaped in the shape of an arch, which I thought was kind of like representative of a a mushroom cloud that the bomb is notorious for, but it's truly designed that way by the Japanese architect in order to shelter the souls of the dead. And as Zena was saying, it had one building left standing, and that's a focal point of the Peace Park. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Brittany? So it's called the Atomic Bomb Dome. And this is the area where the bomb was dropped, and it was dropped pretty much straight above this building. And so when the bomb detonated, it actually went outwards and kind of protected the building below. So although it was destroyed, it's still standing because it didn't hit the brunt of the bomb. And it's just so emotional when you see it Because when we first walked through, we walked through the Memorial Peace Park, the Hiroshima Peace Park Jamal was talking about. And you see it through the cenotaph and it's just so powerful and just so emotional when you see it. Like I can feel the energy in you just speaking about it. And it feels like when you were talking about the trade towers in New York, when you went to that memorial, it's just like, you know, the amount of history and impact of what happened in that space and how many lives and history was changed forever. And that energy and that weight, I can feel it. And I haven't even been there. It was intense. I mean, can you imagine a blast so hot that you disintegrate like less than a second i can't even imagine you know what i mean like all those people that just disappeared yeah and it's really humbling and sad to definitely be there just in terms of the life lost i get that we were at war but it was dropped on civilians for that matter you know what i mean and so it's just really humbling to be there regardless of the sides or anything like that just to know the amount of life lost and definitely really intense feeling and humbling there and the the whole purpose of the peace park is to serve as a memorial of the horrors of war not necessarily the atomic bomb itself like yes it's the focal point but the whole peace park is like an anti-war memorial to talk about like this is what war does if you will. And to advocate for world peace. And that park is located in what was the busiest residential and commercial part of downtown Hiroshima. And when the bomb dropped, it created an open field by the explosion. And that's where they made the park. And I just think the A-bomb dome is so fascinating because as Brittany was telling the story, they detonated the bomb midair. So as the explosion radiated outwards, since it was pretty much dropped 
on top of that building, even though it didn't land on it, just exploded on top. Even though it was destroyed, the shell of it remained because it didn't have the brunt end of the blast because right. it was right on top. So that's like, it's like that's the one middle of, the, of a tornado. Yeah, it's like one of the few things that was left standing and now it's the focal point there. And you just see it and you think, wow, how old is this building? And this was left standing from a nuclear bomb and everything else around it is brand new. And it's one of those places where it's okay to take a picture of the monument or the atomic dome, but it's not respectful to take selfies in front of it. You know what I mean? Like there are certain places where you shouldn't take selfies in front of these historical areas. And that's how I felt in the park. But that's just a personal opinion. Agreed. Yeah. So this area in Hiroshima is actually really famous for what's called okonomiyaki, which is a really savory pancake that's cooked on a flat grill. And it has like eggs, cabbage, bean sprouts, sauces, green onions, and usually topped with a meat. And you can get this anywhere in Japan. But in this area, they make it differently because they stack it versus mixing it and they add noodles to it. And in Hiroshima, they actually have a entire building dedicated to this type of food. And each level has different vendors and they each have their own way of preparing it. So you can walk through. We debated on where to eat. There's so many places in that building, so many different floors. And so eventually we settled on a place that we all agreed on. And for me personally, it was okay. <laughs> it's an experience. It is. It is. Because they cook it. it for you on like a tapenyaki style grill. Like Ooh, if you know, if you go to like Benihana, that. it's the flat grill. It's cooked in front of you, etc. I mean, this is how those pancakes are prepared. And they have at least 20, 30 different shops in that building. And I just want to say, you know, Hiroshima, the main reason people go there and know of it obviously is because of the atomic bomb. But at the same time, it is now a rebuilt, vibrant city. It has its own culture and it is unique to the Japanese food scene because of these specific type of pancakes. So when we were there, we're like, we have to try this out. Did I absolutely love it? No. Did I hate it? Absolutely not. Do I think one of the other vendors in there could have made it a lot better? Yes. You know, so, I mean, you can scope them out and try to see how they're making it and see, but it's not anything. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I definitely would try it there because if it's unique to that area, it's a unique cuisine. You know, why not try it? Gotta try it when you're there. Yep. So we had the pancakes. We passed by Hiroshima Castle real quick. Yeah. Hiroshima Castle... I mean, when we say castle, we think European style castle. It's not really like that, but it's a classical Japanese building on a little open lake. And it was actually destroyed during the explosion of the atomic bomb. And it was rebuilt exactly as it was before. And now it's a museum to Hiroshima's history before World War II. But the castle itself is famous because it was home to an ancient feudal lord of Hiroshima at the time. And the feudal lords were the people who ruled militarily, civilly, throughout history and time. So it was the feudal lord's old castle. And again, now it's a museum. But even if you don't go into it, it's just amazing to see, even though it's rebuilt, it's rebuilt exactly as it was. And it's just a beautiful classic example of Japanese architecture. So beautiful history to be seen throughout the buildings. I love it. It was definitely worth walking by. We walked by it on our way back to the train station and we wanted to go to Miyajima Island, which is home to the floating shrine. So cool. Yeah, Brittany pointed out that the people of Japan have this on their bucket list. So we were like, oh my gosh, let's go. Let's see what it's all about. And squad tip, we've been talking about the JR Rail Pass this entire time. And there's actually a JR Ferry to go to this island that's included in your pass. So you don't have to pay any extras. There's only two ferries that go to the island. You know what that is? Fucking them hard. (laughs) (laughs) So the JR ferry is included in your pass. And so you get free transfer to the island and back. Whereas the other ferry you would have to pay. And we actually ended up going during low tide. So when we went, it didn't look like it was floating so much, but we were actually able to go straight up to it. Yeah, because Miyajima is the name of the island, but it's famous for the shrine that's on there, which is the Itsukashima Shrine. And it's known as the Floating Shrine. And the reason why it's called that is, as Brittany was saying, there is a Tori Gate that is built on the water. And when it's low tide, obviously you can walk up to it and it's sand. But when it's high tide, the water covers the base 
portion of it and it looks like this Tori gate is floating and it's perfectly aligned right in front of the shrine. So when we got there, it was low tide and we could walk up to it. But as our time went on, when we were on the island, the tide started to come in. So we were able to get our photos of it with it floating. And by the time we took the ferry back, you could definitely see it as the floating shrine because the tide was up. But on the island, they have lots of shops and they also have deer, not as many as in Nara, but you can get real up close and personal with the deer as Maybe well as the nice. shrine. Um, same thing, but really, I just, you know, you, it makes you wonder, how did the deer get to an island? Chicken or the egg? Can they swim? <laughs> Chicken or the egg. But yeah, so the this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site as well, worth mentioning. So Yeah, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and this shrine was built in the 1100s, for that matter. So, I mean, we're talking this was built in 1168, so really, really old. One of the things to note is that the JR train does have its own schedule. So while we were on the island, Brittany realized that, wow, if we don't catch this specific, because of, of course, you know, we still have to go on the ferry to go back to the mainland and on the mainland is where the JR is. And Brittany realized that, uh-oh, if we miss this train, then we're going to have to wait an additional two hours to take the next train. So we hauled ass to the boat, ran on the boat, ran off the boat, ran back to the JR station, and we made the train pretty much just in time. I don't think we have all collectively ran so fast except for in that moment again I'm, shout out to your mom she kept up well and shout out to the pocket wi-fi because we checked again on hyperdia the train schedule and if we didn't really look at it we would have had to sit there for another like two hours and just kind of wait around so that was really good on that but that was our day in hiroshima we went back to kyoto and then the next day we woke up early in the morning and we went to osaka now i just want to say kyoto and osaka are really really close to each other. The next major city also is Kobe, where Kobe beef comes from. And it makes the shape of a little triangle, the cities. And so we didn't go to Kobe itself, but we were in that little cluster area of those three main cities and went from Kyoto to Osaka. Did you eat any Kobe beef? We did in Osaka. <laughs> and we're going to get to that. But with the bullet train, it only took about 30 minutes. But Osaka is really famous for being Japan's foodie paradise paradise. They have a really famous food scene, just like Austin, Texas, for example, is famous for having a food scene or New York. Osaka is that in Japan. So before we get into the food scene real quickly, I just wanted to say that we did move to Osaka in terms of getting a hotel there. Okay. But even though it was only 30 minutes away. Yes. We thought, oh, it'll be so fun to stay in Osaka. And Kasha really wanted to do that too. Okay. Yes. In hindsight, looking back, it would have been better to stay in Kyoto because it's so close. Our hotel was so nice. And I don't know. I just, it would have been easier to stay at How many Kyoto. nights were you in Osaka? Just one. one. Okay. You know what? As a squad tip for any destination, any trip, I do not like staying one night in a city. If it's just going to be one night and you can do a day trip, I would rather do that. I just don't like checking in and only staying one night. And I've done so many trips where it's been go, 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 see as much as you can. And all of that. But I know now I don't like staying one night. You know, that's fair to say. We didn't know at the time and one of our members wanted to stay there and, you know, we want to respect everyone's wishes. Oh, so yeah, of course. It's a learning experience and I'm glad we did and we learned from it. Would you have stayed two nights? I don't think we needed it in terms to see stuff. I would have liked to have stayed two nights in order to just eat more food. Uh, but in terms of like, <laughs> did I see everything of Osaka? I mean, I felt pretty much so. So I think okay. one day is sufficient in that. But if you want to sit there and really eat, maybe, you know, a second day would have been good. So we got to Osaka in the morning. And right when we got there, it was still too early to check into the hotel. But we left our luggage at the hotel and we hit the ground running. And the first thing that we did was go to the Kuroman Ichiba market, which another amazing Japanese market. And I really enjoyed this one in Osaka. It's one of the largest markets in Western Japan and had over 180 shops. Did you buy anything there? We bought food. We all bought food. So this market is known as Osaka's Kitchen. That's a nickname of the market. Mm. And they had soft serve ice cream over melon. And all of us got some I of love that. love their melon there. 
I just got the ice cream on a cone or in a bowl. I don't know if whether it was a cone or a bowl, but I just know that I didn't really necessarily need the melon. And they had two different types of melons. One was a very pricey melon and one was a more cheaper melon. So Jamal, tell us about your experience. Well, Brittany and I got the soft serve ice cream over the crown melon. Crown melon? Crown melon. What so is it? It's a specific type of melon. You know, I really don't know what more to say other than you it's like- it to a, a cantaloupe, uh, a It's kind of like a honeydew because it was more green. When okay. you were asking me what's it like, I thought you were maybe saying in terms of flavor. Like it was like really sweet, but I would say it's like a honeydew. Okay. And the melon was good itself, but that wasn't the highlight. The ice cream was the highlight. I like the ice cream a lot because it's not like American ice cream where it's sugary and it tastes like vanilla. This one really tasted tart. It really tasted like milk was the ice cream in a tart way. And it was really good. I enjoyed that flavor. It was almost like what you would say a bowl of milk tastes like after you're done with the cereal but still have milk. But I couldn't Delicious. say what type of cereal. It was good. It was I enjoyed good. it a lot. And then also at the market, we got beef skewers and crab leg for 500 yen, which were delicious. Kobe beef, by the way. Yeah, I would highly recommend doing that. They had several different stations. And they also had a vending machine and the vending machine had peach beer inside of it. What? It was and a it beer was dispensing delicious. Machine. You love that peach beer? Oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> I wish... I had spent extra days in Osaka just to get the peach beer. So this was during my time of sobriety. So (laughs) I was unable to enjoy the peach beer, but I certainly heard about it. No, it was definitely good. I love beer and I'm not a fruity beer person, but I tried Britney's and it was absolutely delicious. I thought to myself, hmm, like I could drink this, you know, but if I drank it, it'd be more summer style because of its fruitiness and it was winter, but nonetheless, really, really good. And this is where our niece Deja, she tried the white strawberries. Again, they take their fruit very seriously there and that's where she had the white strawberries. But I definitely do recommend the Kuraman Ichiba Bar Just like we were talking about when we were in Kyoto, it's an amazing way to experience the true daily life of the locals and see the culture. And I just absolutely love it in there. And it's super crowded. We actually went to this market two days back to back, the day that we arrived and the day that we were leaving. And my mom loved the beef skewer and crab legs so much. And there was a huge line for it. We waited in line. She got it. And we walked to the front of the market and Jamal and I got tempura and potstickers. And she was like, like, oh my God, I want another beef skewer and crab leg. So Jamal very nicely went all the way back and waited in line again for her to get an extra one of each. Yeah, I had to go to the complete opposite end because we were there and she's like, oh, this is good. And we're like, do you want another one? No. And then we get to the front of the market acting as if we're about to leave because we really were. And she's like, you know what? I want another one. I'm like, what? (laughs) And she's like, I'll go, I'll go. Jamal's like, oh my God, you're going to get lost. (laughs) Well, not even lost. We were kind of in a time crunch because this was the second day when we were actually leaving when we went back to it. I think the story you're telling. So we had a train that we were trying to actually catch. So I was like, oh, Brittany's mom's just going to walk too slow. I was like, I'll go fast. I don't want her to get lost. I know where it is. So I had to run to the complete opposite end of the market to do that. But another awesome thing to do when you're in Osaka is go to Dotenbori. And it's actually Osaka's most popular tourist spot. And not even just for foreign tourists, even Japanese tourists. They love to go to Dotenbori. And it originally was a theater district. And it's evolved into being a popular nightlife and shopping and entertainment district. And why don't one of you ladies tell us a little bit about Dotenbori? So it's along a canal. So it's really nice to see lit up at night because there's a whole bunch of neon lights and billboards and there's a whole bunch of restaurants that line the canals too. So it's a really popular night spot to go see with a lot of restaurants. And in this area, we came across the first Pablo's and Pablo's is a cheese tart chain. And I fell in love with Pablo's while we were in this area. Yeah, like cheese tarts, cheesecakes. They have multiple flavors. 
flavors, you know, the original chocolate, strawberry, matcha, lemon. And so it is a chain, but most of them are in Osaka area. Like you'll find very few in Tokyo or other places. They're mostly in Osaka. So that's why we're talking about it specifically here. But definitely if you're trying to settle a sweet tooth, it's a good place to go and I would highly recommend it. But one thing that I also want to say too about Dotenbori is again, sometimes when we think of Japan, we think of the bright neon lights, everything lit up, amazing nightlife. Dotenbori is that area. There's restaurants, but it's a nightlife in terms of partying and bars and they're famous for their neon lights. So it's fun any time of day, but if you go squad tip, definitely do go at night and check out all the lit up neon signs. It's amazing. So, you know, we specifically went to Osaka because it is a foodie paradise and we wanted to enjoy all of the good food Japan had to offer and what Osaka had to offer. And one thing we had been looking at and hadn't tried yet was called amu rice. And amu rice is an egg omelet that still has runny yolk in the middle. And it's usually topped over rice and served with savory meats and sauces. So we went to a specific place and this was just Jamal and I called Magoonies. And we got their Kobe beef amu rice and it was so delicious. So we had a bed of rice. We had the omelet on top that was split open and there was Kobe beef along the outside and it was so good. Yeah, they have amu rice all over Japan. And I know it sounds so simple, like a bowl of rice, and then you have an egg on top and split it and have some of the insides run out. But they put a lot of savory sauces and meats and different flavors that really elevates it to make it really elegant and delicious. You know, being so close to Kobe, the original place of Kobe beef, I definitely wanted to try and eat as much as I could since we weren't going there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try it eating a famous Japanese dish. And I love the amu rice at Magoonies. But I do want to say if any of you guys do go to Magoonies, I would highly recommend it. That's number one. But again, as we've said, lots of dining establishments in Japan have small seating capacity. This restaurant only holds 12 people at a time. So there is a wait list to get in. But don't be deceived by going up and just standing in line and thinking that's saving your place. They do have a sign in at the door. So unless you put your name on the list, you're definitely not in line, even if you're standing in it. But the good news is it's right by Dotenbori. So once you put your name on the list, go peruse around a little bit. You're definitely going to have a good time and it kills a little bit of the weight. I can say that I am so hungry listening to you talk about that. That sounds so good. <laughs> it really, it was, really was good. good. <laughs> Do you guys have any final thoughts? I just want to say in general that Japan is such an amazing country for many different reasons. I mean, you get its sense of its classical culture with its modern take on Tokyo Metropolis, Osaka Metropolis, and then you go to Kyoto and then it's more classical, its food scene, its history. I can't recommend enough going to Japan. And what makes Japan even more enjoyable to visit is truly the amazing culture of the people there that maybe in and of itself was my favorite thing about Japan truly was the people not that we talked to them like personally but just seeing how they act their culture the way they do things I love that a lot yeah their culture was amazing I really respect their culture and I really love their bullet trains and in fact we ended up taking a bullet train back to Tokyo and were able to use our JR passes one last time to take a special line to the Narita airport and fly home so Kim, I think it's your favorite time of the episode. Question. 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 Questions. Of the week. Of the week. <laughs> Love it. All right. So we have several questions that came in from different people on our Instagrams. We're not going to name names here today, but we have a few. So we're going to get through them pretty quickly. So our first one is, would you go back? Yeah, I would definitely go back. I really enjoyed it. I would love to go and see the cherry blossoms at some point. Ooh. So going at a different time per year. And I would also want to see some other parts of Japan. I feel like we hit the highlights, but there are other areas I do want to see as well. Would you do the geisha outfit? I would consider it. If I spoke Japanese, I would live in Tokyo. It was that cool. Yeah, it's just such an interesting experience. It's a different culture. It's just, I really liked it a lot. Anything you'd do differently? 
I think differently, we kind of touched on it earlier when we were mentioning how we did the one night in Osaka, but that was a learning experience for us. And as Brittany was saying, it was because someone of our traveling group wanted to spend the night there, which is totally fine. But in hindsight, being so close with the bullet trains, didn't really need to, especially if you have the JR pass. If I wanted to wake up early, even a second day and stay in Kyoto and go to Osaka twice, you know, we could have done that. So I would definitely recommend using Kyoto as a hub to wherever you want to go in that room region and not necessarily checking out and getting to a different hotel. I would stock up on more wasabi nuts. Yeah, those were good. <laughs> those are so good. Oh my goodness. Okay. Next question. What Japanese words did you learn? For me, I learned one in particular that I remember other than just arigato and which means know, what? Arigato means thank you, but the one word that I'm talking about is dozo, because if you are riding the metro or the bus, just like here in the United States, they have designated areas for, you know, handicapped or seniors, but over there, more so the signs say for seniors. If a senior comes in, you must get up, That's let them sweet. have the seat. These are their designated areas in particular. Even regardless, I would always give up the seat and I would tell the elder people dozo, which means after you, and they would just absolutely so love sweet. it. So that's one word other than the main ones of like, thank you and hello. What's hello? Konnichiwa. Mm -hmm. I used to do jujitsu when I was a kid, so I know how to count in Japanese. Do you know how to say cheers? I don't remember <gasps> that. Well, we would know if you were there. That's a, that, <laughs> that, that word is on you, Kim, and you failed us. <laughs> All right, moving right along. You guys mentioned ordering off of vending machines quite a few times. Did you feel there was less human interaction? I don't necessarily think that there was less human interaction because there was someone still like helping you at the vending machine if you needed it. Someone still serving your table and coming around. So I don't feel like that there was less human interaction. I just think that they have a system of how they do things and it works for them. And then I know this is a pretty big group. Seven it, of us. And it wasn't an organized trip. Brittany, you were the tour guide. So how was it as a group? So I don't think it was bad as a group. The hardest part was finding places for all of us to eat at the same time because a lot of places were just small hole-in-the-wall restaurants. So it was hard for us to get a large table. Uh, and even at times we had to split up. But I think it was fine to travel as a group. It just took a lot of work finding the itinerary, finding things to do. And although I gave the option for everyone to pitch in and say what they wanted to do, no one really did. So I just pretty much planned the, the trip that I wanted. You know, I just didn't think about this till right now. Uh, when you said that, I feel like, again, the hardest part was like, okay, where do we all want to eat? I'm thinking now, what if Kim was there? Ooh, but you know what? I would have been like, this time. is where we're going. <laughs> Come on. No, to the left, people. I know. I'm giving you a hard right, time. Right, left, right. Move along. In all <laughs> fairness, though, like when we did eat lunch or dinner, you know, we would say to that, hey, or Jamal and Brittany would be like, you know what? We really want to do this. So we're going to go there. If you want to come with us, great. If not, like, let's meet at this time and you guys can go do what you want. Yeah, I we, think the hardest thing is food for everyone. Yeah, we made it work. I was joking about you, Kim. I'm just, you know. Uh, I know. I know. Playing with you a little bit. <laughs> and like we said, at Magoonies, it was just Jamal and I that ate there. Everyone else went off. I think Deja went to a cat cafe during that time. Zaina, Cash, and Ryan went somewhere else for food. So you guys were okay being out and about in the streets by yourself? You didn't feel in danger? No, no. not at all. Super safe. Japan is super no. safe. Super safe. So we just all said, okay, awesome. at this time, we're going to meet up at this hour, be here. And that's how we went. I just thought of a final thought. Let's hear it. Japanese porn. You can buy it. <laughs> Very important. You can buy it in 7-Eleven. But the puss and the boobs <laughs> and the dick will be censored out. They're not going to be there. But really? you can buy it. Now, I didn't buy it for myself. I'm not going to name Shut who up. it was bought for. But uh, yeah, Japanese porn. And it's a lot of it's anime porn, too. So... There you have it. Okay. Well, on that <laughs> note, thank you so much for tuning in to our part two of our Japan episodes. Keep the adventure going with us. Follow us on Instagram at Travel Squad Podcast. And please follow us on our brand new YouTube page, Travel Squad Podcast. And if you found the information in this episode to be useful, or if you thought we were just plain funny, please share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, and tune in every Travel Tuesday. For new episodes next week we are mixing it up and we are traveling with our palettes oh our episode will be on middle eastern food yeah mm.
love, love, love. love Eastern food. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.